Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, and I just got to say I'm jacked up today because Joe Kynes is going to join us in a few minutes, and I can't wait to hear one of my all-time favorite coaches talk about his time with the Tide. But before we get to our conversation with Coach Kynes, I want to talk about a recruiting story you may have heard about. Turns out Coach Saban had his staff invite a young man from Baton Rouge to a recent junior day in Tuscaloosa. Now, junior days are ways to give high school athletes the opportunity to showcase their skills for the coaching staff, and it allows them to get acquainted with the colleges they may choose to attend. It's all part of the recruiting process. It's been going on for years. It's legal. It's within NCAA guidelines, and there's absolutely nothing about it that's inappropriate or unethical. Now, we all know it's a tough road to hoe when you're trying to recruit a kid from Cajun country because the corn dogs don't let many they want get away. But Bama's always had some success signing football players from the Flamingo State, especially since Coach Saban showed up in T-Town. Now, these camps, of course, attract elite athletes, and the young man from Baton Rouge has many of the same traits as most of the greats. He's 6'1", weighs 215 pounds, he runs a 448 40-yard dash, and he comes from a stable home environment. His father's an attorney, and he might, might wind up being the number one prospect in the country in 2017, because he hasn't seen the ninth grade yet. He's an eighth grader. Dylan Moses and his family were in Coach Saban's office having a conversation very much like the ones Coach Saban has with scores of student-athletes all the time. It's just that this chat was with a child that was only 14 years old. So when Saban said he was offering Dylan a scholarship, Mr. Moses was so surprised he asked him if he was offering Dylan a scholarship now or for when he's older. Well, it's easy to tell the father was a little flustered because as ruthless as a lot of reporters like to think Coach Saban is, I'm fairly certain our coach wasn't implying that he was trying to fast forward a student through four and a half years of secondary school and enroll right then. Now, we'll go out on a limb and say we don't think Coach Saban was suggesting he bypass high school. At that point, Coach Saban said, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't normally do this. I don't offer scholarships to kids this young in the process, but considering that he might be the number one athlete in 2017, yeah, I'm offering him a scholarship. Well, since Dylan's old enough to understand that the man that just won three of the last four national championships and puts lots of players in the pros just said he wanted him on his team, he was pretty excited about it. He and his family were so fired up, they said it seemed like the drive back to Baton Rouge took about 30 minutes. And, predictably, this is the point in the story where some scribes savored the opportunity to set themselves up as the saviors of society with their condescending commentary on Coach Saban and his cutthroat recruiting. Offering a scholarship to an 8th grader was just so inappropriate. It was unethical. It was out of line. He's out of his mind. Wrong. Nick's not stupid. He knows full well that over the next four years, all kind of things can happen. Dylan might decide to play another sport. He may stay home and play for LSU, who, by the way, had already offered him before he left Baton Rouge. So I guess LSU is without honor, too. And you know, there's no guarantee he'll qualify academically, making this all, well, academic. 
he might not even go to college or compete in sports beyond high school. But if he does, if he stays on course and creates a chance to go to college and play ball on somebody else's dime, he may remember the time Coach Saban spoke up and said he wanted him before he could even be sure he'd eventually measure up. We've all heard stories about academic prodigies that passed their peers and became college students at an early age, and people marvel at it rather than malign those that make a place for them. Some people are just smarter than others. Some can run faster and jump higher. And some can handle college athletics and academics when they're still counting the days till they can get a driver's license. So there are kids like Dylan that give every indication that because they're already special in some way, that maybe it's okay to say we see it in them now, and then we hope they'll keep us in mind when it's time to make decisions down the road. And why is it so easy to forget that Dylan doesn't have to accept the offer? He's perfectly free now or at any time in the future to say no. Dylan Moses seems destined to do great things. He's an exceptional young student athlete with educated parents, and it's likely that, barring serious injuries or unforeseen events, he'll have a long list of colleges to pick from in the future. And neither he nor his parents nor a prospective coach owes anybody an explanation or an apology because his life, his liberty, and his pursuit of happiness didn't fit into somebody else's cookie-cutter worldview. The core of Coach Saban's job is to evaluate prospective student-athletes and recruit them. After seeing Dylan, he did his job and offered him a scholarship. It's really that simple, and it's really nobody else's business. We wish Dylan and his family well wherever he winds up going to college, and we're sorry Coach Saban had to dodge more pointless darts again just because a small subset of sanctimonious hand-ringers had nothing better to write about. But we've got something good to talk about today because we've got a guy we've really been looking forward to talking to, former Alabama coach Joe Kynes. Coach, it's great to get a chance to talk to you. How are things going for you these days? It's good. Uh, you know, we're uh, in the process of uh, watching our grand youngest play baseball, and uh, so the spring's a, a busy time for us, and we just... Uh, Taking it one day at a time. Oh, that sounds great. Coach, you know, the first thing I want to say to you is that I'm glad you decided to stay in Tuscaloosa after you retired from coaching because you've really endeared yourself to so many Bama fans, uh, yours truly included. And the first thing I want to ask you about is how you came into this world, which I understand was a little (laughs) bit unusual. Yeah. You know, my mother first told me that story years and years and years ago. My father was a prisoner of war in World War II. Uh, he was a ranger and and uh, was captured and was in uh, in a German prison camp. And she uh, uh, she was going back. She, you know, she was going over to uh, uh, from Cedartown to Piedmont from uh, one, from her mother to my other grandmothers. And we got on the train and started bouncing around. And uh, I think. Earth actually started on the train. Uh, there, there's a split decision to whether I ever really made it to the house or didn't, but uh, all that uh, was just something that my, my mother used to sit and tell me, uh, you, you know, a long, long time ago when I was little, and um, it just kind of stuck. And uh, I think the first thing she said I ever had on was a white shirt with a collar and the sleeves cut out of it. So <laughs> I guess that's why I've been... Uh, 
got a jerky all my life. Well, you know, and, and, and I know you were born in 1944 because I looked it up. And I think that's really appropriate because uh, knowing what you're like and kind of what you're known for, it, it, it really, it's really fitting that you were born the same year as the Normandy invasion, you know, and you're thinking about storming beaches and that kind of thing. Hey, I was just wondering, you know, who, uh, who did you who did you pull up who did you pull for when you were growing up? Who were your who were the teams you followed when you were a kid? Well, you know, I, I grew up in Cedartown um, and played ball there for Doc Ayers. Uh, Doc is is actually still alive. He's in his uh, mid nineties and uh, was a kind of a local hero there uh, at the time. Uh, Alabama was. Uh, was down a little bit. Auburn. Uh, we had coaches from there. Georgia. You know, the Southeastern Conference has always been uh, uh, known for having schools that, that that local kids pull for. Sure. Um, I didn't really. You know, I wasn't uh, uh, just enamored by anything. I just was playing high school ball, having a good time, and and uh, and Coach Ayers eventually went over to Georgia. Uh, it was a freshman coach over there for a, a long, long time. And uh, so I guess um, any of the SEC schools back then were, were probably tops on my list. Yeah. Hey, you know, you're known as a fiery competitor. You're passionate about the game. It just always looked like you really loved the game. Who were the coaches and players that you were admired when you were a kid? Uh, who inspired you? Well, I, I tell you, that one's easy now. That, that one's uh, is really easy. The, the two guys uh, prob- that probably had more influence on my life than, than uh, as a coach and anybody was Erg Russell and Ken Donahue. Um, both of those guys uh, were really uh, strong defensive coordinators. Um, they kind of dominated uh, the, uh, the clinic circuit uh, back when I was a young high school coach and uh, it's kind of a clinic uh, uh, buff, I guess. If there were three or four people talking about football on a Saturday afternoon somewhere, I, I found a way to get there. But those two guys always seemed to, uh, you know, Earth was known for butting the, the players coming out of the dressing room and running onto the field bleeding. And, 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 and Coach Donnie was probably – the greatest thinker defensively uh, of any of the, the coordinators, you know. So I guess those two guys um, in my early career uh, had more influence on me than anybody. You know, and what, what's interesting about that, and it's, uh, I'm really enjoying hearing you talk about this, is Irk Russell uh, wound up down at uh, in South Georgia uh, at Georgia Southern and pretty much uh, yes. Built that program single-handed, right. and for right. a long time they had a heck of a run. Uh, they dominated they really their their yeah. their level uh, for years, right. uh, and and doing it running the wishbone, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, uh, a big option team. You know, and it, what's interesting about Ken Donahue is that, of course, he was with Coach Bryant for so right. long. Right. Uh, right. And uh, gosh, I, when I was a kid, he he was the defensive coordinator for the first. 25 years of my right. life, I think. And, right. and then right. after he left Alabama, when Coach Bryant retired, he wound up back at Tennessee for Tennessee. a year or two. Right. And that may yeah. have been, correct me if I'm wrong, while you were in your first stint at Alabama with Ray That's Perkins. Right. That's right. That's right. He went up to uh, Tennessee and, and 
and uh, Coach Perkins uh, was here. We played them uh, uh, up in Knoxville, and uh, that was a really a, a a big game for for Ray, for Coach Perkins, and for the for the group. You know, yeah, I was... think the thing that um, was so uh, unique about uh, Coach Donahue is is that when I came back the next time. Um, after having been gone and came back, which Donahue had uh, had passed away, his wife brought me a box, uh, and, and she said, "Coach, I'd like you to have this. This is some of the things that were in uh, my husband's desk, and you go through with them and look at it and take what you want. And then all I ask is that anything else you take over to the museum and." Uh, and give it to them, and yeah. which I did. But th- there was a notebook in there that uh, Donahue had 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 written down personal thoughts and 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 some things that were important to him. And and um, I tell you, I've shared that book with a couple of uh, Alabama players uh, who wanted to look at it. It's a, it's an amazing book, and it kind of reflects uh, what kind of person. Uh, uh, coach really was, and, and his thoughts, and how how detailed uh, he was in his preparation. You know, I, I I think that's probably the thing that separates the the, the guys who kind of get in this business for a little while, and then and kind of ease on, and the ones who are in it for a lifetime is is the ones that really prepare. You know, and and you talk to the guys who played. Uh, Coach Donahue, they, they they talk about him with reverence, and I I really believe that's that may be the biggest difference. And in, in, in everybody loves the school they played for, but sure, any player that played for uh, for coach uh, will rise up and fight you in a heartbeat uh, over anything that's uh, you know uh, detrimental to him. Oh, I, yeah, that's uh, he, he played such a critical part. And if I'm not mistaken, Bill Oliver uh, kind of right. came along uh, right. uh, under him, too. You know, your right. coaching career kind of got a kickstart when uh, you went to work for Charlie Pell at Florida in 1979, right. coaching linebackers, and he made right. you defensive coordinator in 1981. And to wind up as a coordinator at an SEC school that early in a career is pretty impressive. What was it? Um, you feel that brought you to the table that you brought to the table and enabled you to make that much progress that fast. You know, I, I looking back, it, all that was kind of a blur. Charlie was a, a really special guy, uh, not unlike most of the guys who played for Coach Bryant. Uh, early in my career, I, I was fortunate. God really blessed me, and that I I got to coach with some people who had who was taught, uh, you know. Uh, football from uh, probably one of the greatest coaches ever to coach the game and and so their football philosophy was was all the same now their personal uh take on the game and life may be a little bit different but but how to coach a player and and, and how to how to manage the game and and what you needed to do to win listen uh, all of those things were were just like a silver cord that ran through all yeah, of it and yeah I was really fortunate to get with uh, Charlie, with Coach Pell at Jacksonville State, we were all young and didn't know any better, you know. <laughs> so we didn't know it, you know. The work all night was just a, you know, 
That's what you needed to do. That's not, nobody ever asked why. Well, you know, you just, I, I was fortunate. What you did. I was fortunate enough to get to meet uh, Coach Pell uh, ten or twelve years ago, uh, not too long before he passed away uh, right. at, at at way too young an age. And uh, right. like you're talking about, you know, and he played. Good gracious, he played offensive line for Coach Bryant, yeah. and, he, and I know he didn't weigh more than 180 pounds because That's I, right. when I That's saw right. him uh, ten, twelve years ago, heck, uh, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't big as a minute. So I'm, I'm. You know, and, and uh, dude, Hennessy kind of fit that same oh, yeah. mold. You know, 160, yeah. fa- 160 pound defensive end. I'm thinking, so these guys had to learn something about how to play sure. football to survive. No question. no question. And it was it was important. It wasn't just a casual thing, you know. It was important. And uh, so uh, I was lucky uh, to, to get on with, uh, with Coach Pell at Jacksonville State and, and went with him, you know, to Clemson and what a what a great privilege that was, and then we went down to Florida, and uh, so I don't know. I just uh, again, uh, only way to say it, and, and it make any sense to me is. No, is God just blessed my life beyond my wildest dreams? Well, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm glad to hear you say it. You know, you the first time you were at Bama, uh, you came in on the staff with uh, Ray Perkins. Right. Uh, now, how how did that connection come about? How did you get to know Ray, or how did he know you, and how did all that play out? Well, you know, um, we had uh, it ended the thing in Florida, and uh, I was uh, looking and. Uh, Jim Fuller was on the staff here, and he called and said, uh, you know, Coach Perkins uh, wanted to know, would you meet him at the senior bowl? And, you know, I said, well, sure. You know, so I went down and and spent a day uh, with Coach Perkins, and we watched practice and, and talk ball and all that. And uh, he, uh, he was very nice, uh, you know, the, had that old blue stare of his. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 but was, was really, really gracious to me. And, uh, when it was over, he said, well, coach, I appreciate you coming and I'll get back with you. So, you know, I didn't know how it went, uh, how things were, but, uh, you know, a couple of days later, uh, uh I got a call from him and, you know, he wanted me to meet him, uh, up in Birmingham. Uh, he was the AD and the foot, head football coach at the time. So he said, look, we're playing Auburn in basketball. I'm going to the game. And when it's over, I'll uh, come up to the hotel there in Birmingham by the airport and we can talk. So I sat there until the game was over. He came in and we literally talked until the sun came up. Wow. And uh, sat there all night talking about uh, defensive football and how to, you know, how would you do this? How would you do that? And we came down. Go down to Tuscaloosa the next morning, got some breakfast, and he offered me the job, and I couldn't take it quick enough. <laughs> and you know, you were at Bama that first time two years, I believe, 85 and 86. Right. There were right. some awfully good players on those two teams oh, sure. and some great games. What was it like to have grown up in Alabama with, with the passion for the game that you've got, and all of a sudden you find yourself on the coaching staff at Alabama? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I guess uh, I kind of this way. When you're young, you ain't got no sense to realize what's <laughs> happening to you, I guess. Uh, you know, I, all I know is I was thrilled to death to be here. And, and the players you talked about, you know, uh, Cornelius Bennett, John Han, you just go on and on and on. There was a really great group of guys here. And, uh, 
and and, and played hard and passionate and, and uh you know it was a it was a good time and uh I don't know it just uh it, football was important to them just like it is to anybody that's ever you know put on that crimson uniform you you, you don't take it lightly you don't no. not matter of fact and it's not just another game you know, you, you take each game as, as as what it is and play it to the best of your ability. And I, I just, uh, I don't know, I was very fortunate to get to come through here at that time. And and we, there were some really great coaches on the staff. And, you know, uh, Mike Shula was a quarterback. And, yep. and the comeback at Georgia and Auburn, you know, those two games probably uh, uh, stick out. You know the most uh, in my mind, and, and I, I don't know. It's just a, and, and I remember the thrill Sylvester Croom uh, back then, uh, like Coach Bryant did. Everybody had a game, and the Notre Dame game was Sylvester's game, and uh, the, the you know to beat Notre Dame in Birmingham there, and, and to see him after the game, uh, what that meant to him and his family. I mean, uh, I think that's why uh, you know football in this state. It's a little bit different. Now, people can tell you it's all the same, but when you get down to the reality of it, in some cases it's really not. I mean, uh, this group of people here that came through the university, they you know, they have a common bond and a common thread that runs through them that ties them to not only the university but the whole state. And uh, I think there are many places that it's like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, I went to high school with Sylvester Croom, and I know his brother Kelvin too, who sure. who, who yeah. would have had a great career because he was a fabulous athlete, but he blew a knee out. No, no, he just retired yeah, right. from uh, public education right. in Tuscaloosa. Super guy. You know, you came right. back. You came back to Bama in two thousand three after uh, Dennis Franchoni had kind of flown the coop, and Mike right. Shula was hired that May right. after. Mike Price's little escapade in Pensacola. Spring practice was already over, so you'd have whatever off-season work could be done in one fall camp. That put you guys in a tough position, and now you're working right. for somebody you coached. Right. That season had a real challenge from a had to be a real challenge from a coaching standpoint. And I'm guessing guessing a big part of it might have been uh, the personal aspects with the players. And you're at Alabama, where no matter what the circumstances are, oh, yeah. expectations are winning big. What was it like trying to make it happen that year? Well, just a couple of things on that. I I think there's some people maybe that realize what Mike actually did. You know, the one thing that you kind of tend to forget is, is the, the NCAA probation, you know, were, were some of the toughest that had ever been handed down. And, and, and the, the football world was kind of taking a, a chance to take a shot at Alabama, which it had never had before, you know. And, and that made recruiting extremely difficult, you know, extremely difficult. If it hadn't been for the, you know, the love that, that some of the players in the state have for the school and for Mike's passion for his school, um, I, I think you can judge people a lot of different ways. But uh, and this is just my opinion, so it's not, you know, it's not worth a whole lot. But uh, I, I really believe that that Mike Shula probably was the perfect guy for the time that he was here, because if if Alabama had had done anything 
to bring the NCAA back down on the school. Oh, boy. They were looking for a reason to really blow us out of the water, period, you know. And and Mike's um, uh, conduct and the way he handled the program and the school and the NCAA, I think, was something that if he hadn't have been an Alabama player, ex-Alabama player, I don't think he could have done it. And if he hadn't have been who he is, you know, yeah, he's got a he's got a huge heart. Uh, um, you know, you you debate and discuss things forever, but uh, I think the years that he was here, uh, he gave the school uh, uh, some credibility that uh, that uh, only a few people could have done that. And uh, I always admired Mike for how he shouldered that response. Never asked anything, you know. Never asked any quarter. Just uh, went about his job, uh, uh, trying to do it uh, in a way that would uh, that would would make the program grow. That's really interesting to hear that from your perspective, you know, because you're exactly right. There have been an awful lot of things, good and bad, said about those right. years. But, hey, you know, right. Alabama's always been known for defense, and that 05 defense that you coached was mighty good. It held Florida yes, to sir. three points. I was there at that game, and that might have been the loudest I've ever heard Bryant Denny <laughs> Stadium ever. Yes, sir, and right. you guys only gave up 10 points to a Texas Tech team that had scored more times than Wilt Chamberlain. What, <laughs> right. what was it about that 05 <laughs> team that stands out to you? I, I think unity, and, and I think leadership. Um, you know, that team was, was the group that had been, who came in uh, were here as freshmen back when I, everything fell apart. Yep. And uh, a little guy named D'Amico Ryan. D'Amico uh, kind of... Uh, uh, Pull the defense together and Brody Cole on offense. And, and those kids believed in each other. They were easy to coach. Um, listen, they were Alabama to the Colts. You know, when bro, bro, the fact that Brody, you know, and Brody, we talked to John Crawl just a couple weeks ago. You know, Brody was came real close to thinking about going to Florida State or Oklahoma, but right. he signed with Alabama. And, right. and, and oh, my goodness gracious, uh, we really owe him a tip of the hat. Sure. And D'Amico Ryans came in and I think he had 25 tackles against Arkansas as freshman year. Right. Goodness You know, I, I never will forget the very first Saturday scrimmage we had when uh, on the practice field when Coach Price came in. You know, uh, that staff was from the, the West Coast. And uh, so they came in and, 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 and we, we had the little off-season program and then we went out for that first scrimmage, and, and we came back in, and he said, listen, I don't want to know about pluses and minuses and, and all that stuff on their grade. Just tell me what you think personally of each player. So when D'Amico Ryan's name came up, without batting an eye, I remember the first, you know, I, sometimes to my own detriment, I'm a, I'm a quick tongue guy. You know, I'll say what I think pretty quick, and uh, – so he said, D'Amico, and I said, he'll be the next great linebacker in Alabama. And, and, and just to put him in that category here at this school, you know, it, you know, it says a lot to start with. You know, he was just a freshman. But every great player has uh, that little cut about them, that little something about them that yeah. makes them different. And D'Amico had it from the very beginning. And, uh, he was a strong leader, a great worker, and uh, I, I don't know. The off-season program that we had after that first year 
you know, the first year was a disaster. And, and, and I remember sitting at a staff meeting and we said, Hey, look, uh, and some of those guys on the, you know, in here had been through the, the lower gym program and all that. And they, we said, look, we got to go back to where this, this program was built. It wasn't built. Uh, out on the practice field in in August, it was built back in December uh, in that lower gym, and so you know, and to see D'Amico and those guys and how you know, we, we were supposed to start at, at, at six o'clock, and you know, at, at twenty minutes to six, they're out there stretching and getting ready to go, and you didn't have to beat them in the head. They knew it was important to make the change and to and to put Alabama back where they were. And um, the the bowl game that year was probably as as much fun as any game that uh, I ever got to coach it. Those kids knew that that um, you know we were going to play well, and because they had worked so hard, I mean it's it's not a surprise to a bunch when they you, know, you put that much work into it, you're going to get something back from it. So, but anyway, it was a great bunch. Wow, man, that's great stuff. It, it, it's, I'm really enjoying hearing about that. Uh, we're just about out of time here, Coach. But, you know, Alabama's yeah. had an awful lot of success over the years, and we're right in the middle of another amazing run. Oh, yeah. Just quickly, what is it about the way and – and, and I have so much admiration and expect, respect for your coaching ability and your viewpoint of this. What is it about the way Coach Saban's staff coaches these guys right now that impresses you the most? You know, I uh, – I had the opportunity to do a couple of things with him uh, the year I worked for Coach Moore. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot, you know, the tip of the hat goes to Coach Moore for, for, for kind of holding this program together. But, you know, Coach Saban is, is, is – some people say, you know, who's the best, who isn't the best. You can argue that all day long, but I tell you, nobody does it better than he does, and nobody has ever done it much better than he does. And I think it's because of his belief in what he does. He doesn't change on, on a knee jerk. You know, a, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of coaches, uh, uh, everything's fine as long as they win four or five games in a row. And at the end, you know, when they have a loss, then they throw everything out uh, and start over. And he's never done that. He stayed with what he believes in. Uh, he has a, a uncanny ability just to, to uh, put the players in the right places, I think recruiting probably is the, you know, the cornerstone of his program. In that he, he knows what he wants at the nose guard position. He knows what he wants at a corner, and he goes and finds those things. He doesn't just sign a kid because he's a quote good athlete and try to find a place to play him. I think he's 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 putting players. He's signing the kind of players he needs to run his system, and and uh, and fortunately, they you know. Obama's done well enough that, that, that he can do that. And uh, so he's, I don't know, he's just way ahead. Uh, and he doesn't shake. You know, he, he doesn't, you know, when bombs start going off, he, he doesn't wring his hands and, you know, throw up his hands in despair. He, you know, he, to win it and win it big like he has, you have, you have got to have been in a bunch of battles. And so I, I think that's, you know, is one reason he's uh, head and shoulders above some of the rest. Yeah, if I was in a foxhole with somebody, I'd want it to oh, be dude. him. Goodness yeah. gracious, coach! coach I, and he never blinks. You know, he don't. He doesn't. <clears throat> he, he doesn't. He jerk. He just does what he's supposed to do. 
Coach, I could listen to you talk for hours. Goodness gracious, this has been fun. Uh, we just about got to get out of here now. But listen, okay. thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Uh, it's been fascinating. And I'd love to get you back on again sometime and hear some more about uh, uh, what you've well, seen. I told you all I know today, so it'd just be a repeat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, listen, you take care, and we'll talk okay. to you again sometime soon. Thank you. Hey, we're down to our last time out now, so before we vamoose, we want to mention some Tide fans that are a long way from home working really hard to make life a little easier for a lot of people. Gary and Elizabeth Wilkins spend nine months out of every year in Africa drilling wells so poor people in impoverished areas have access to clean drinking water. And while they deal with a dry season every year, they're in the midst of a drought that's having disastrous effects on the environment and endangering people's lives. If you you'd like to know more about their organization and how you might help support them, go to buyprovision.org. That's buyprovision.org. Hey, we're excited about the fact that we were able to reach over 102,000 people on our Bama Talk Facebook page last week, and we want to invite you to check it out and chime in with your feedback and comments. Thanks to the internet, we can interact with Bama friends and followers from all over the world, so we want to hear from Crimson Tide fans from all 50 states and all five continents. If you're enjoying the Bama Talk Facebook page, hit that like button and let us know you're out there. Feel free to share any of the pics and posts you see, and if you want to contact me, my email address is steve at bamatalkshow.com. And while I'm thinking about it, we got a shout out to Bama fan Joe Pinch, who lives in Kempville, Ontario, Canada. He sent us a photo of his car tag that says Roll Tide that we posted on the Facebook page, and it had over 45,000 views in the first 24 hours. Way to go, Joe. And we want to remind you to let your friends know they can find the show in the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher or at BigBrainsMedia.com. If you want to make saving and storing every episode easy and automatic, all you have to do is hit that subscribe button so you can listen to any show anytime you like, as much as you like, at no charge, because the downloads and subscriptions are free. There's also a free podcast app available for your smartphone or tablet so you can listen to the show on the go. Like while you're watching the replay of Trevor Relliford's last-second shot from midcourt that beat the Bulldogs and earned Bama a first-round bye in the SEC tournament, or while you're shopping for Bama gear at the mall, or while you're sticking pins in your NCAA voodoo doll. Hey, and we want to give a special shout-out to a couple of great guys that are really good about helping us here at Bama Talk. Dr. James Sanderson, who has a very successful dental practice in Hoover, Alabama, and Mike Owsley of Mike Owsley Productions. They are movers and shakers, and they really help us make this thing happen. Well, the game clock's showing four zeros, so it's time to head for the locker room. For Mark Phillips, James Spann, and all the folks behind Bama Talk at Big Brains Media, we hope you enjoyed it, because we had a ball, y'all. Until next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.